Turning your Bibles to John chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're new with us, my name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're watching us online, we're so glad that you joined us this morning. Uh, we are in a series that we started in October, walking through the book of John, chapter by chapter. We entitled this series, That You May Believe, based on what the Apostle John, the one that wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives as the purpose in John 20, and he says, these things have been written so that you, so that I, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the purpose for our salvation, that we would see Jesus as our Lord and Savior through his life, death, and resurrection, but it is also true as we walk with Jesus, after we put our trust in him to be able to grow in believing more and more that he is not only the savior of our sins, but he's the savior in the midst of our circumstances. And so I want to point your attention to verse 9 this morning. We will, we will unpack all 11 verses, but verse 9 sets the table for us this morning where Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Would you finish out this verse with me all together out loud? You ready? Say it with me. Abide in my love. That's what Jesus says to us this morning. That's what Jesus said to his disciples as he's in the upper room. Lest we forget, Jesus is saying these things. While they're still in that upper room, Jesus is going to find himself in the garden here in moments, praying, with the Father sweating great drops of blood, understanding what he is going to endure for you and me and for humanity, past, present, and future. He's gonna be going on the cross within a matter of hours, but he says to his disciples, don't forget this, abide in my love. And that's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes, abide in Jesus's love. All of us today, in this auditorium, watching me online, maybe listening to this later on in the week, are abiding in something. And Jesus wants us to understand that the place where he desires us to abide is in his love. Here's the idea that I want you to understand this morning that we're going to unpack that comes straight from what we just read in verse nine, that Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting me, he's inviting us to abide in his love. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he's inviting us to. That's what he desires of us. Now, many of you know this because I feel like I say it every week because that word abide is so important to us uh, at Salem Chapel because it's important to Jesus. And really what we're gonna read this morning is really foundational to how we make disciples here at Salem Chapel because it's what Jesus has said. It's not something we've cooked up in a back room somewhere because we think it sounds cute. It's straight from Jesus' mouth. But this word for abide is the Greek word. If you don't know, the New Testament is written in Greek. It's the word meno, and it's used 11 times in these 11 verses, that Greek word meno, which is translated as abide. So if you're ever reading a passage of scripture on your own, and you see a word mentioned that many times in your reading, then you probably ought to circle that because that's there for a reason. Which is also interesting, I've said this before, but you may not remember, John is the only apostle that uses this word abide. 
It's only mentioned in the Gospel of John and it's mentioned in 1 John. John's the only disciple of Jesus who has had the privilege to be one of the authors of one of the New Testament Gospels or books to use this word abide. Here's what the word literally means if you translate it from the Greek. It literally means this, something that remains where it is, continues in a fixed state, or it's also used as meaning deep relationship or communion. Now, I'm not going to be able to give the definition of how we've defined abide here at Salem Chapel based on what it literally means better than what you just heard on the screen from your children, but just let's just say it out loud if you know it. Here's our definition of abide at Salem Chapel. Walking, say it out loud with me, walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. Here's why I started giving you what it literally means from that word so that you can see once again we didn't just cook up some definition of a by that wasn't rooted in what it actually means. That's what God wants for every one of us, to walk hand in hand with Jesus, not as we lead the way, but as he leads the way. You notice back in September, if you call this place your home and you were here, we really kicked off a series entitled Abide, and the purpose of that series was not just to teach a six-week series and then move on to something else, but really lay out how we are going to make disciples here at Salem Chapel and the importance of this word abide. We shared with you, introduced to you five abide tools that we will be rolling out over the next 18 to 24 months. You're like, why so long? Because this isn't a program. This is the way that we want people to learn to abide with Jesus. Not that if you already have a way, it's not not a bad way, but we need a way that we're gonna do that. How many of you can speak English, raise your hand? Hopefully every one of you are raising your hand or you're in deep weeds this morning. So we all know English, but if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you could teach someone who doesn't know English? Probably a lot less hands would go up. And that's the reason for these abide tools, is so that, You can abide with Jesus, but you also know how to equip others to do the same. And so we rolled out, and these have been being pressed down and and restore our Bible reading tool and our life group. Some of you are in a part of an abide group with just three to five people that, that gather together and use this Bible reading tool and you use this prayer tool. Some of you have this journal. The tools are on the screen and really what we wanted to be intentional with is, man, we want, we want every person that calls this place their home to know how to read the Bible. Your kids said their version of the Bible reading tool, God said, I heard, I will. That's what that was if you didn't know it. So just intentional. We came with a prayer tool, upward, downward, inward, outward, just based on the Lord's prayer Why? Because I can't abide in Jesus' love if I'm not in his word and I'm not talking to him. But here's the problem. And I'm gonna mention the problem because I've experienced it myself lest you feel like I'm coming down on you. Like we're all in this together. Here's the problem that I've found in my own life is that I, we, can view abiding with Jesus as a transactional thing rather than a relational thing. Aren't we so guilty of that? 
Here's what I mean by that. Let me illustrate that. I have my debit card here. Let me make sure I have it the right way. Not that any of you would use my number at all, but um, trust me, there's not enough there that you would really be motivated to, but nevertheless, I have my ATM card. And so when I set up my account, don't judge me with what bank it is either, um, but, uh, but I, had, I have an ATM card, and, and when I set that up, what do they do? They give you a card, they tell you, you know, how to use their system, they tell you where, they, where the ATMs are, they tell you how to use the ATM, okay, you to this touch screen, here's your pin, here's how you enter it, and then what happens? Hopefully money comes out, and then you use that money for whatever you want to do. And I found myself sometimes going to God's word that way. Oh, I got a, okay, got a Bible reading tool. Okay, so I know to need to go to the Welcome Center. I need to pick one up. I need to, to work through this. And here's the passage of scripture. And oh, they have a reading plan that I can follow along. And so, so I'm gonna go through these things. Okay, what is God saying in the passage that I read? How is the Holy Spirit making what I read personal in my life today? Where do I need to be obedient today from what I read? Okay, and I'm gonna go through this. And then I'm expecting something to pop out, so to speak, that allows me to do what I want to do. Or I'm going to go through the movements upward, downward, inward, outward. Okay. Because sometimes we can view it as transactional rather than relational. And then here's the other problem sometimes when we view it like that is we can view abiding with Jesus as aspirational rather than relational. We're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. Johnny, it's not because of a lack of desire, but I keep saying I need to spend time in God's word and I need to talk with him. And I say that over and over again, but my follow through is less than to be desired. It's aspirational. Or you're like, yeah, I used to do it. I did it for like a week and nothing really changed, so like I don't do it anymore. It's aspirational. Or you're like, yeah, I used to do it. And I saw God do some things, but not so much anymore. Why? Because it's aspirational, not relational. And I think Every one of us, if we're being transparent, have found ourselves there a time or two before, or maybe even find ourselves there right now. And I think this is the reason, and I put, it, put this up a few weeks ago, this heart struggle chart. If you've been through Restore, which just is an arm of how we really go after discipleship here at Salem Chapel, you know this chart well. Remember the first time this chart was exposed to me, just when I was working through some things in my own life, I was like, I don't like that chart. But when we think about it, why do I so often want to treat my relationship with God like an ATM machine? Because really what I'm after is my glory. What I want versus what he wants, my self-love. And so it affects my faith struggles affects my relationships with others. It, uh, my common struggles feed that, whether it's fear or guilt or shame or fantasy or anger or any of those things. Well, here's what we're gonna see today. Jesus is going to show us the remedy, the motivation 
of why we abide with Jesus. Because at the heart, what Jesus wants to grow in us is to realize his love for us, Christ's love, so that that speaks to my faith struggles, so that that speaks to my relational struggles, so that that speaks to my common struggles, that I understand and I'm growing in how much the Lord loves me. And when I'm abiding with him, it's about me growing in his love more than some transactional thing that I can get. It's about me saying, Lord, I want to see how your glory can be put on display with whatever I'm struggling with in the moment. See, what I want you to understand today as we dive into this passage is that Jesus is inviting, get this, he's inviting you. Sometimes we can read this and it's like, oh, Jesus is giving me one more thing that I have to do, one more thing on my list that I gotta be reminded of that I can't do, one more thing that I gotta feel bad about myself. But that's not what this passage is. Remember, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. He knows what he's about to go through. He could be so self-focused on what he's doing for everybody else and none of us would judge him for feeling that way. But instead he says, disciples, here's what I want you to understand and you're not even going to understand it fully right now, but you will. What I want more than anything else is I want to abide with you. I'm inviting you to grow in your understanding, to have a deeper, ever-growing understanding and experience of how much I love you. Remember Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It doesn't say Jesus is kicking down the door. It doesn't say Jesus is pounding on the door. He's literally just saying, I'm here. I love you. There's no shame at my table. I want to spend time with you. I want you to understand how much I love you. I want you to understand on how my love for you applies to what you're struggling with. I'm knocking on the door, and I just want you to open it. So let me give you three things that when we abide in Jesus' love, here's what we're going to experience. And the first one is found in verses 1 through 8. Can we read that quickly this morning? Look at verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine. In other words, all other things that we want to abide in are at best substitutes of the real thing. And my father is the vine dresser. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We'll talk about pruning here in a moment. But underline this phrase, that it may bear more fruit. There's the purpose of pruning. We're just gonna emphasize that right now. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So he's talking to 11 of the 12 disciples because remember, Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus. So everyone there, what he's saying is, is you already believe in the words that I have already said. So you are clean, you are saved because of the gospel that I have declared to you that I am about to complete here in the next day and few days when he raises from the dead. Verse four, Abide in me, and I in you. Do you see how that's a mutual thing? 
It's not, let me remind you of one more thing you need to do. No, no, no. Abide in me because I want to abide in you. As the branch itself cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Here it is, our theme verse for why abide is so important. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, what's the next word? Not a little bit, not a sample, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown away into the fire and burn. In other words, part of the fruit that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is I'm going to have a desire to want to abide with Jesus. Doesn't mean perfectly. Doesn't mean there aren't seasons where, where you make the wrong choice. But the idea there is a follower of Jesus Christ is going to desire to abide. And those that aren't are separated from God because of their sin and will find themselves in a lake of fire one day. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Just hear the relational language here. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's the first thing that we experience when we abide in Jesus' love. Number one, Jesus care with you, with you. How does Jesus show his care with me? I think there's three things in this passage. The first one's found at the end of verse one and verse two. It's the Father's pruning in your life, God the Father. Now when we hear that, we would not think of pruning as an act of God's love. We would view it as an act of God's judgment. But I think it's important to emphasize here that God the Father is spoken of as the gardener or the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine being connected to him, abiding in his love. But how do we bear much fruit? We submit to the pruning of the vine dresser, God the Father. And an agricultural absolute is this, that the health of the branch in producing fruit is dependent upon the pruning. If you don't prune something, at best it's going to grow straggly. If you ever bought any plants that you need to trim back every year, if you don't do that, the way that they get full is what? By pruning. Because that grapevine will never produce anywhere near its potential without it. But here's so often what's the case. Here's what I'm so often guilty of. Okay, I'll put myself with you lest we feel a need to be self-righteous this morning. Is it so easy to make a judgment call on the character of the vine dresser in the midst of the pruning? Right? I mean, I've had things in my life that I'm like, man, it's one of those branches and I'm like, no big deal. Man, God, I'm glad you took that away. Don't mind losing that at all. And then there's other things, right? And you're like, seriously? That? That was good. I was firmly content in the job that I had or that particular salary or 
that particular place that I was living in or that experience that I was enjoying. And it's so easy to judge the character of the vine dresser in the midst of the pruning. And we so have to guard ourselves against that because what Jesus is giving us is a purpose and a perspective when you are being pruned. Because what I have to remind myself of is that I don't trust in the competency of the vine dresser based on circumstance. I trust in the competency of the vine dresser and what he has accomplished in my salvation through Jesus' love. That Jesus lived a perfect life for me. He died on the cross for my sin. He rose again three days later. And my trust has to be anchored in that ultimate thing that Jesus has done for me that can never be taken away. If I'm basing my confidence in the competency of the vine dresser in the pruning... I'm going to struggle at best. If you've ever been to a vineyard and you've been to a vineyard when nothing's in bloom and it's just been pruned, it's not the prettiest thing. It's all brown. There's nothing on those vines. And normally, if they've got a restaurant, you ain't going to that restaurant when everything's been pruned and it's not in season. Why? Because nobody wants to see what may appear as even a bunch of dead vines on poles. Nobody goes and, and judges the vine dresser of that vineyard in the pruning season. But when you go to a vineyard when things are in bloom, oh man, that's when you see the competency of the vine dresser. See, it's not just reminding myself in the pruning season of where my trust needs to be anchored, and that is ultimately in what Jesus Christ has illustrated for me and demonstrated for me through his love for me, through his life, death, and resurrection. And man, that I am his child. And that is where my competency of God the Father has to rest. But there's also a piece of me remembering the times that the Lord has pruned, and I've been blessed enough to see the fruit. See, what causes me to go to a vineyard and say, oh, that vine dresser actually knows what they're doing is because I've seen that vineyard produce fruit. I've tasted the benefits of that vineyard. And some of us need to bring ourselves back right now. If we're in the midst of a pruning season and we need to guard ourselves from judging the competency of God the Father and that he knows what he's doing in our life right now and we need to remind ourselves of those seasons in our life and we all have them where we have seen that God the Father knows what he's doing. The Father's pruning in your life is how he shows his care. The fruit produced in my life shows Jesus' care with me. See, grapes being produced on a vine are not just so that you can go and say, oh, look at that, look how amazing the vine dresser is. Look how amazing that vine is. Look at what the grapes are. No, 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 those grapes are harvested to do what? To benefit other people. Fruit in my life that, that the Lord produces in my life is not just so that I can say, hey, look at my fruit. But it's actually to benefit others, those that I'm in relationship with. 
those that don't know Jesus yet, those that are struggling right now, those that are hurting right now, to me to be able to say, no, 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 let me share with you some of the fruit that I've experienced and going through that same thing or a similar thing. Galatians 5, and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you've ever been in a marital relationship where those things are demonstrated, don't ever tell me that you don't benefit from receiving that fruit or a relationship of any kind. See, the fruit that's produced in our life is an evidence that Jesus cares. Intricately, dutifully, every detail, Jesus care with us. And how about this, prayers being answered in our life. Doesn't he say that in verse seven? He says, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be granted to you. Now, I think we're wise enough and savvy enough to know that that's not, I rub my Bible three times, let me close my eyes, let me, let me do a little spin, and God's gonna show up and grant me whatever I want in my driveway, in, in, my, in, a, in a lot somewhere, uh, the number of zeros behind the number in my paycheck. We, we got that. I think we're savvy enough to know that's not what it means. But here's what I found in my life. When the Holy Spirit is producing that fruit in my life, here's what happens. My prayers change. The prayer tool that we've given you, upward prayers, prayers of phrase, downward prayers, Lord, let me remind myself that it's your will, not mine. Your will is best. Let me pray for the needs that are pressing on me. Lord, before I end this time, let me go out understanding that I need your protection. Like the reason why that's there is not so you're like, well, before I get to my needs, I gotta make sure I do upward and then I do downward because I can't do that out of order. The reason why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, how he prayed, is to guard ourselves from treating Jesus like a genie in the bottle. See, let me give you three prayers that I promise you the Lord will answer every time. Are you ready for these? Some of you are like, I haven't been taking notes yet, but now I'm ready. Here's the first one. Jesus, help me to sense your presence with me. Some of you are like, man, I thought it was gonna be how I get a raise this week. And Jesus cares for that. But what I've found in my life is when I'm like, Lord, I am overwhelmed right now. I feel so alone right now. Lord, help me to sense your presence with me. That Jesus has answered that every time through the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Jesus, help my eyes to see your power working for my good and your glory. Man, there's times that I've gone into some days and I've just been troubled and overwhelmed with just worrying about something and I've prayed, Lord, would you just help my eyes to see that you're working? And I can't remember a time in my life where the Lord didn't answer that prayer. How about this one? Jesus, help my mind to remember your promises in this situation that I'm experiencing. Lord, I'm struggling right now to believe that you are who you say you are and you're gonna do what you say you promised to do in these verses. But Lord, help me to remember to be in the forefront of my mind that Lord, even though I can't see it in the moment, Lord, you are working. You're not gonna contradict your promises. Listen to me, what I've found in my life 
and not perfectly, but what I've found in my life is you know what my time and talking with the Lord needs to look like? When I get up in the morning, it's starting a conversation with God, and when I pillow my head at night, that's when I say amen. It's thinking of it like that. Like walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. Not that you're literally praying every moment, but no, I'm reminded that I want to abide in his love. I've read this this morning, and I, Lord, I'm asking you to help me to see how it's applicable to what I'm experiencing right now, because I don't really have the answer for that right now. But Lord, I want you to show me your love in this situation and how your word is affirming that reality. And Lord, I, I, I just want to experience your presence and your power and your promises in my life today so that when I pillow my head at night, it's like, Jesus, it was good walking with you today. Jesus' care with you. Here's the second thing. Jesus' love for you is what you grow in experiencing when you abide in his love. He says in verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's what oftentimes happens. We get to verses nine and 10 and we're like, oh, more things that I gotta do. Oh, more things that I'm reminded of that I can't do. That's not Jesus' point. He's saying, abide in my love. Let that be the focus for you. Don't look at it as a transactional thing. Don't look at it as an aspirational thing. Just remind yourself that I love you. I mean, the whole story of the Bible is what? You start in Genesis. God created us for love. You get to Genesis 3 and you find sin enters the world and evil has separated us from love. But then you come to a gospel like John and you're reminded, no, 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 God restored us for love through Jesus. And then you get to Revelation and you're reminded that we'll experience love for all of eternity. But get this, the moment that I placed my trust in Jesus Christ, for me, it was October 23rd, 1980. A five-year-old kid who didn't understand a lot about God but knew that he loved me and I knew I was a sinner. That moment began my eternity in Jesus' love. And when God says your time is over and I pass from this life to the next, it only gets better. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, here's his prayer for the church at Ephesus, the apostle Paul who started this church. He says, here's my desire for you, church, that you would be rooted and grounded in love and that you may have the strength the ongoing strength to do what? To comprehend, to continue to comprehend and grow with all the saints in what? What is the breadth and length and height of depth of Jesus's love for you? See, what motivates me to get into God's word and to talk with him? Man, it's reminding myself, Jesus, you love me. You wanna have a relationship with me. I'm a part of your family. You're changing my life as I abide in your love. And you lived 33 years on this earth so that I could never say, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to blank. I was in Atlanta uh, Friday night and Saturday with my daughter and she was doing some uh, basketball training team she's going to be on and 
And so I was sitting there watching, and you know what I was amazed by? You got all these girls that didn't know each other at the time, and they're all listening to these coaches. And you got one coach, he's coached like Division I basketball for 16 years. You got another coach that literally, you know, has been doing this for 20 years. You got another uh, gentleman, and he played Division I basketball, and you've got all this experience there in that gym. And I'm watching them coach these girls, and I'm watching how they balance the invitation and challenge. I'm watching how they literally get, and they're smiling, and they're saying, no, 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 do this, do this. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to, I mean, all the different things that some of you understand and others of you couldn't care less about, but they're, they're, they're encouraging them in these things. And then I saw other moments where there was like heavy challenge. There was like, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. Don't drift here. Drift here. And I watched this balance, and I watched all the girls, and you know what? None of them did this whole thing. If you've got teenagers and you parent them, you, you might know what I'm talking about about this, like there's this little valve, I guess, when they hit 13 that needs to release every once in a while. I didn't see one girl give any attitude whatsoever. You know why? Because they understood that those coaches that were there have experienced what those girls are going to experience. And They've been where those girls want to go. And those are fallible, sinful people. But we have a Savior who's lived every category of experience that we will endure on this earth. And he says in every one of them, look to me, I love you. I know what it's like. And I want you to grow in understanding and believing and experiencing what is the length and the depth and the breadth and the height of how much I love you. Listen to this. You have a Savior who loves you, but you also have a friend who loves you, who knows you intimately And there's no shame in the midst of knowing you intimately. There's no shame at the table with Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying in this passage, he loves you just like God loves him perfectly. He's not just asking you to abide with him. He's saying he wants to abide with you. He wants a deep connection with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to feel with you. He wants to weep with you. He's identified with you. He wants to be your closest friend. I never saw this verse that's John 15, 13. You can put up on the screen. I never saw this verse this way before this week. Where Jesus says, greater love is no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is with his friends right now. It's just him and his 11 bros that he's invested in, that he's been patient with. And he's already seen one leave him. And he says, and they don't understand this yet, but I want you to understand something, disciples. I am going to die on the cross and be risen again for the sins of humanity, past, present, and future, but I want you to understand something. I'm also dying for my friends. 
And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as mind-boggling as this is to me, and it almost seems to contradict the reverence that I need to have for the Lord, but he sees me and he sees you as his friend. And whether or not you see him as that way, he sees you as his closest friend. And he wants you to experience his love for you. Here's the last thing. Here's what we experience as we abide in Jesus' love. Jesus' joy in you. His care with you. Through the pruning, through the fruit, through my prayers being changed and seeing them answered, through his, me understanding and growing in his love for me. But listen, also his joy in me, in you, in us. Because he says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you. What things? The things that we just talked about. I've spoken these things to you. Why? So that my joy may be in you. You will see where it comes from. And your joy may be what? Maybe what? Maybe what? Full. Oh, listen to me. You don't have a savior who's gonna shortchange you. There is nothing worse than I, that I hate than being shortchanged. Right, you go through the drive-through, you place an order, it's supposed to be right, you drive away, and what? They shortchanged me. Happened to me in the drive-thru driving down. Ordered a grilled chicken sandwich. We get it. They got all of Lily's food. Forgot mine. I hate being shortchanged. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Joy to the full. Now, there's a lot of definitions for joy. But I just felt like the Lord was asking me to come up with one of my own based on what joy means. And so I'm not saying at all that this is the best definition you will find but it's one I wanna give you that I just wanted to do on my own based on scripture just so that I could be reminded of this. Here it is. Joy is a supernatural confidence sourced in Jesus' love and produced by the Holy Spirit that settles my soul to believe the Father is working out every detail of my life for my good and his glory. Let me read that again, because if you're listening to this in your car, by no means do I want you to write this down. Joy is a supernatural confidence sourced in Jesus' love and produced by the Holy Spirit that settles my soul to believe the Father is working out every detail of my life for my good and his glory. What does Hebrews 12, 2 says? Who am I supposed to look to? My pastor? My spouse? My friends? My dad? My mom? No, no, no. Looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who demonstrated his love. And how did he experience joy? That what was set before him, he embraced the cross, that pain. He despised the shame, that betrayal. But he said to myself, he said to himself, it's going to be worth it because I'm going to sit at the right hand of God. And when I sit down, I will have done everything for my children to know how much I love them. That's joy. So what does Jesus want from you? 
Simply this, to abide in his love, to come to his word, to come to him through your talking, through your praying, not transactionally, but relationally. And saying, I'm about to go spend time with Jesus and there's no shame at his table. I'm accepted because he loves me. And Lord, when I open up your word and I read it, help me to see your love. Help me to connect the dots. Man, I want a quick fix. You have no idea how I love quick fixes. But I found so often that part of the pruning is just me wrestling and allowing the Holy Spirit to make the connection for me. You know what I found in my, li- in my life? That means so much more in my walk with the Lord than you telling me what I need to do. Or me telling my kids what to do. Or me telling my spouse what to do. And let's abide in his love. Why? Because he is the one and only Jesus. Would you stand with me? Lord, we are here today to remind ourselves of what you have given us through Jesus Christ. Lord, it's what anchors us to trust in you as our Father, the vine dresser, that when you prune, and often pruning is painful, that we believe, Lord, that you are wanting to produce much fruit in us. So when the pruning is over, what is produced is an ever-growing and ever-deepening understanding and experience of your love for us. God, I thank you that through Jesus, you provide care with us, you show your love for us, and you produce joy in us. Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.